You're listening to High Performance, and this is what we've got lined up today. Code red aggression, I've gone into a door, burst into that door, straight away gone into the room, you know, finger on trigger, and I've seen women and children, you know, and that's when, and again, this is another prominent point in my life um, that I remember that I knew that I wasn't a bully with a weapon. I knew that my emotional intelligence was really, really high because straight away when I saw it, boom, finger off trigger, how am I going to protect these women? How am I going to protect these children? Boom, boom, boom. Then I flicked straight back into the next room and it'd be a fucking firefight again. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also, small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey. You're listening to High Performance, the podcast that delves into the minds of some of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet and aims to unlock the very secrets of their success. As ever, I'm not flying solo. Damien Hughes is with us today. It's fair to say you don't want to annoy today's guest, right? I'm chatting very, very carefully, Jake. What are you most looking forward to finding out in the next little while? I'm really interested on this idea of who tells you the truth beyond yourself? Who really tells you the truth? And I think our next guest is going to give us some real fascinating insights on that. I think you're right, because I think he's a man who certainly tells himself the truth. As far as I'm concerned, our guest is the epitome of high performance. A military career stretching back to his teens, the coveted King's Badge when he passed out as a Royal Marine before becoming a point man and a sniper in the Special Forces. He's now a TV presenter, public speaker, author. He even has his own brand, Bergamot and Amber Body Wash. Have you got your own brand body wash? No, not quite. You haven't made it in life. <laughs> Only when you've got your own body wash have you made it in life. Please welcome to uh, High Performance, Anthony Middleton. Anthony, Jeez, mate. nice to have you with us. You know when you've made it. You know you've made it when you've got a body wash, right? And I've also got a beard balm as well. Have you? Yeah. Do you wash with your own body wash? Of course. So you're in the shower in the morning. It smells nice. My son nicks off me, I promise you. I did have quite a lot of um, input in it, actually, to be fair. So um, I made sure that it, was, it smelled good and it smelled manly i love it what is your definition anthony of high performance a self-belief it's um it's key to everything in life i think um that comes with brutal honesty of oneself you have to be honest with yourself um but self-belief only comes through um realizing where your boundaries are where your limitations are suffering hardship it's one of those where failure believe it or not Again, I don't want to sound too cliche. Failure is the key to self-belief because if you can fail and get back up and re-attack and fail and get back up and re-attack but learn something every single time from that experience, you will eventually get there if you believe in it enough. And then once you start to get there, once you start to realise, actually, I'm a lot more resilient than I thought I was, self-belief starts to kick in. And once you nail self-belief... 
it almost, but to a point where it hits that ego line. Right. That's when you can achieve amazing things. And that's when not much phases you because you generally believe that you can achieve anything that you put your hand to. You know, I believe that if a human has done it in life, then I can achieve it, whether it's climbing to the top of the world, whether it's running 100 metres, you know, under 10 seconds. You know, I generally believe that if I train hard enough and uh, I put the time and effort into it, that, that I could achieve that. Because in your book, The Fear Bubble, mm-hmm. you talk about... Um, people coming up to you saying, oh, you've changed. Yeah. And it, and then you say, yeah, I have, because I am not the person I was when you knew me before, and I'm delighted that I'm yeah. not that person. And sadly, you are the same person. I'm interested to know, the Ant Middleton sitting in front of us now, is are you now the product of hundreds and hundreds of little tiny moments? Or was there one explosion in your head where you went, that is the key, the door has just been opened, I see the light, there is the answer? No, um, it's loads Is of it? little things that accumulate. Do you remember when it first started? Because I bet at um, 16, if I'd have asked you that same question, you probably would have given me a completely different yeah, answer to high performance. If you'd have told me where I was today when I was 16, I would have just laughed it off. You know, I was just a young 16-year-old that joined the military, you know, had a very bad military career, i.e. experience for my first four or five years to the point where I left the army and then rejoined the Marines a couple of years later. It was just something that I believed that I, that I was good at, um, that I could do. And I just just chipped away at it. So why weren't you high performance in those early military years? I was, but I didn't fit in. I wasn't a team player. You know, I was almost wanted to be the best at everything. And when I was the best at stuff, anything I put my hand to, I was the best at. I'd be quite cocky and arrogant about it. Um, and what you do, you isolate yourself. And then, you know, obviously being in the military, a team player is is what it's all about. And you can only get so far by yourself. And that's when I uh, left the army and I thought to myself, do you know what, I've smashed the beginning of my army career. The reason why I didn't get on well was because the people were below me. I was better than everyone else. But what that does, you, you sort of hit a ceiling. You hit a plateau where you're just like, right, where else is there to go? And you actually need people around you to get you to that next level. And... It was just a case of I enjoyed what I'd done. I knew I was good at it, but something wasn't sitting right. And it was that moment of clarity that I had as a youngster. This was a moment, I'd say my first stepping stone towards uh, becoming an elite um, athlete or an elite individual, however you want to um, look at it. I was at the job centre and I left the army and I thought to myself, right, I'm going to go in and get, they're going to give me, the, you know, look at my report. My report was exemplary. I'm going to get whatever job I want. And I went in there and I left there without a job. Yeah. And I remember walking down the steps of the job centre when I was 22. And I sat down on the steps and I thought to myself, wow, how, how are you here? With everything that you've achieved and everything that you've done and that you know you're capable of, how you sat on the steps of a job centre, jobless. And I flipped that mirror on myself. It's the first time in my life that I was brutally honest with myself. And I just concentrated on all my negatives and insecurities. And it's like, right, Ant, you're a big-headed little twat. That's why you know, you're know sat on these steps. Um, you're not a team player. Your ego is, you know, is, is, is gone way over the line now, you know, from extreme confidence to ego. Is, Surely is just... you'd been told this when you were in the army. Your colleagues were going, listen, you're a dick. What? Yeah, but you don't listen to it. You're just like, yeah, I'm a dick, but I'm the first one. I'm always at the front of the runs, aren't I? When I was reading your book, that, that very first day in the military when you did that run, yeah, and you spoke about the idea that you put yourself at the front and you almost just went balls out and didn't stop until you came first. Mm. And it seems to me that, that just running was something you, you were doing for a long time where you were running away from something. Yeah, I, I joined the military to... Uh, to uh, I was always self-sufficient. I always wanted to stand on my own two feet. I always excelled at what I'd done. But then I got bored of it. And then when I got bored of something, I'd put my hand at something else, I'd excel at that, and then I'd get bored at it. I could have been a footballer, but I was just got bored of it and just didn't enjoy doing it. And then I went into athletics. Again, you know, I was a, I was a sprinter. I got bored of it. Um, it just gave me a, a sense of uh, confidence and I didn't realise it till later, but it gave me this sort of understanding that if I put my mind to something that 
I really enjoyed. It became obsessive to me. You know, I just I'd have this obsessive sort of addiction to 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 perfecting it, to to controlling it, to making it work for me. You know, um, so as I sort of chipped away throughout my childhood, you know, football. Yeah, one you I could show you all the trophies. You know, everything that I've got. Athletics the same. You know, then the military best recruit, best PT at the age of sixteen. It's just like you know, this is almost too easy. Then when I left the military and joined the Marines, King's Badgeman, and then you know, <laughs> made my way up to snipe selection, past selection the first time. These all these small little events that that happen that just they become bigger and bigger, and you, and you're almost confirming what you already know. But that can be a very dangerous thing to do because the moment you start confirming that you're the best at everything, that's when it starts trickling on. You know, you the extreme confidence starts biting you in the ass because you you know your ego takes prominent place but does that not make you a dangerous soldier though with that sense of ego um no because i've i've never when it comes to that side of things um and i talk about uh, emotions you know i'm a very emotionally connected individual there's a danger of you know people say you thinking that you're the better yeah never when i went into combat into war did i ever think that i'd get shot yeah. never ever thought there's a soldier on that battlefield but that was better than me never in a million years but that's why i always got on that helicopter on the way home that's why i'm here today right. but there was this there's all there's this side to me and i talk about this respectful this this polite this compassionate side to me you know, that um, that I have, you know, I know what's right and I know what's wrong, you know, and that's, again, it teaches on that edge of expertise where I'm either going to get it horribly wrong or horribly right, but I'm so emotionally connected that I get it right every single time. So, for example, you know, I've been into, into a firefight where I've breached a compound and the whole place has erupted and we've done what we needed to do in the compound. And then, you know, from that firefight, code red aggression I've gone into a door burst into that door straight away gone into the room you know finger on trigger and I've seen women and children you know and that's when and again this is another prominent point in my life um, that I remember that I knew that I wasn't a bully with a weapon I knew that my emotional intelligence was really really high because just straight away when I saw it boom finger off trigger how am I going to protect these women how am I going to protect these children boom 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 then I flick straight back into the next room and it'd be a fucking firefight again but then I'd get straight back into that mode of right well these it's flicking between the two I'm either uh, you know there's no sort of middle ground with me where did that develop then that emotional intelligence um from a child you know, my father passed away when I was five years old. And I talk about, you know, finding a positive in every negative. And as life has gone on, I've sort of found so many positives in my father's death. Um, he died when I was five years old. And um, within a couple of weeks, a stepfather came in into play. And we up and moved to France, you know, within, within six months. So obviously something had been going on before. But the magnitude of the situation was so overwhelming at that age. You can imagine, but I think at this stage, I was six in France, new man in my life within six months. It's like, what the hell is going on? But what that allowed me to do, I remember just thinking, you know, almost the situation being so overwhelming that I literally just ignored it and cut it out of my life. And the thing that I could understand at six years old was what I could control was myself. So I started self-reflecting. At six? At six. Wow. I always used to self-reflect, self-reflect, self-reflect. Why am I feeling like this? What am I you feeling like You think that like came this? from your dad's death? Leaving One million percent. So when I asked you earlier, your high performance mindset, is it hundreds of little things or one moment? Yeah, maybe, so, yeah. Maybe, Anthony, it was the moment mm. when your dad died. Yeah, when you look back on things like that in, in, a, in a way like that, yeah, it was, but it's just a sequence of events that has just fortified that. You know, the death of my father was that sort of point to the sort of earliest memory when I can, I can just remember sort of having this out-of-body experience of, I couldn't even make sense of the world, you know what I mean? Because, you know, it's different language, different school, really isolated, different father, different, it's just like, um, and I can remember having quite a good childhood, even though it was, it was a different childhood. I remember having a quite a good childhood because all I had to do was think about myself. And, right. and, and it's, that's why I talk about being someone that's self-sufficient, always wanted to stand on my own two feet, always wanted to do, because I could, I could be in control of that. Were you being loved by your mum and your stepdad at that point? Yeah, yeah, there wasn't, you know, so, don't get me wrong, the step stepfather was, you know, he ruled with an iron fist, but they all did back then. So I don't begrudge any of that. And it, it toughened me up as a, as, as a lad. But, um, you know, this hard exterior that you build... You know, it's one of those where I believe that 
you know, you're set in stone from quite a young age and that's who you are. But then who would you say knows the real Anne? So ultimately mm. there'll be two or three people, I imagine, in your life that know when you take all that armour and that different persons no, no off. One, apart from myself. Yeah. Oh, hold on, I can't let that go. No. Not your wife? No. Not your mum? No, don't, don't talk to my mum. So um, my wife knows probably 80, 85% of what does she? So what does she not know? I don't allow anyone to ever enter that space. Why not? Because my space is one of those where, you know, there's stuff that you must keep, you know, that you must keep to yourself. There's thought processes that you must, you must manage. It's one of those where if you spoke out, if you spoke out loud with your thought process or you, you let people in to a certain level of emotion, then there's nothing positive that's going to come out of it. Right. So why, why do it? And I'm very much like that. You know, I'm a very, very positive, positive thinker. It's only because I've, I've dealt with so much negativity in my life that the levels of negativity that I've witnessed, done and been ex exposed to, if you, yeah, if you don't think positively in those situations, then probably wouldn't, wouldn't be here today. I'll probably, you know, be in a different, different headspace. I'll probably be in a different, you know, a different career. It's, um, so again, it's, it's just about knowing yourself as well. And that, that, that's to a point where you do know yourself, where you, you, well, this is what people need to know. This is what people don't need to know. This is what I never let out of my locker, right? Because yeah, yeah. this is the... And is there an is edge the, of loneliness to you because you've not totally exposed yourself? Yeah, to I would people. say I'm still a, still a loner. You know, I'm still a loner in that, in that type of way. You know, I've got a lot of acquaintances and I've got a, a lot of friends, but, you know, when... You talk about my social life, you know, I'll just tap up one of those guys and, and, and go or girls and go out with them. But I just I don't let let anyone anyone sort of too close, if that makes sense. So there was an area that really intrigued me that I wanted to ask you about. But I'm going to do this while treading very carefully in the way that I <laughs> no, ask please, you. Please but crack on. I'm lucky enough that I've been around lots of individual athletes that have been mm -hmm. high performers. And what intrigues me about them is that there's a concept in 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 roman times that the emperors used to have a, a guy that their title was the memento mori somebody that would be on your shoulder reminding you that you're human and you're vulnerable and not to get carried away mm. with your own success and i can see that these loners these individual sportsmen sometimes can get seduced by success, seduced by ego and all the trappings of everything. Who's the guy on your shoulder saying to you, aren't you being a dick? Aren't you getting carried away? Aren't you, your ego's out of control um, there? Myself. And it's through, I'm not scared to, to fail. I'm not scared to do that. I don't really care what anyone thinks. I don't really care, you know. It's one of those where I'm not scared to take on, to commit to failure. But we all have blind spots as well that sometimes lead us to trip up and fall. And as somebody that is trained in the art of efficiency in the nature of what you do, would it not be more efficient to have one or two people that you would allow into that orbit that could maybe help you avoid tripping up? Yeah, but it's like, it's almost someone telling you about yourself. You know, I believe that no one should know yourself better than yourself. I've been in situations where I've been forced to act, where um, I've been surprised um, what I'm capable of being in, in combat. Right. You know, you talk about that fight or flight mode or you talk about, you know, having to do what you need to do to get the job done. And it's just like, that was remarkably mm. easy. Then it just allows me to put myself in into this position where, yeah, I want to be the first man through the door. Does that bother you? I want to be, I want to be the, oh, this mind sweep in this minefield. Who wants to do it? Yeah, I do. You know, I remember the fucking, the first thing when someone said, and there's probably about a kilometre of minefield to, who, you know, what team wants to do it? And I put my hand up straight away and I just thought, oh, fucking hell, why did I do that? And when I got on the ground, I was just like, I was loving fucking mind sweeping, knowing that this, you know what I mean? But I've, it was just, these are the things that I didn't realise that I was capable of until I put myself in those situations. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I put myself in these situations thinking, what have you done? And this is it. But then I think to my, that when it's done, I'm like, I'm so glad I done that, you know, I'm so glad I was first man on the target. I'm so glad yeah. that I went through that. And, and, and then I realised how I can deal with it. And I see the effects it has on some other people. And it's not a case for me going, let me go, you know, I'm better than you. I'm like, listen, I'll probably deal with this better than you. Do you go through that and then think, am I, am I normal? 
Let's say you've killed someone and five minutes later you're having a game of cards, you feel fine. Other soldiers might have to go and decompress and go for counselling, whatever they do. You sounds like you don't need to do that. And I wonder whether you're totally comfy with that mm. or whether you think, am I... I remember going for a period where I thought I was mentally ill when I was younger and went to counselling. It was, it was a good thing to do. I was just sort of having a weird period as a teenager. I don't think you've probably never gone there, have you? You've never... Never. Why would you talk to someone about something that's going on in your head? And again, you will only tell yourself what, you know, you'll only be as honest and open with yourself than you want to be. You know, you can have someone pr pressing all these triggers and... You know, so you have a challenge that, Because I think there's yeah. something about... It's the Einstein quote that the mindset that creates a problem, it can't always be the mindset that solves the problem. And somebody else being able to come in with an alternative view might help you get there quicker. I agree with the yeah, idea. Yeah, You've still got yeah, to unlock it. Yeah, probably help you get there quicker. But, um, you know, sometimes there's not a problem. And people are like, you know, people make a problem out of it. And yeah. you're just like, I'm perfectly fine with it. It's almost this day and age where it's not okay to be okay. Yeah. Now people say to me, and you've been through some, how are you not yeah. messed up? I'm like, because I'm not. And I, again, my sympathy goes out and to, I've seen people that, you know, suffer from Pete and it's horrendous. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've got massive sympathy for that. I've got friends, good friends um, that, that suffer from it. But, um, you know, I I don't. And, you know, should I? Should I? You know, you almost, you know, people, when people should talk, it's like... Should you regard those people, like, how do you perceive somebody that's suffering from PTSD then? Do you regard that as their own fault, that they're unable to process what no, they experience? Yeah, I just, um, I think a key one is, is, is acknowledging the situation for what it is. You know, it's like, if someone's died, well, guess what? They're dead. You know, acknowledge that it's, it's like there's nothing you can mm. do about that. You can put all the negativity. You can go, yeah, you go through the process of mourning, acceptance, accept, blah, blah, blah. There's stepping stones to get you to where you need to be. But it's just, you know, people are, people ask themselves questions about whether what should have happened, this would have, should have, could. That's not the real, real world. And that world does not exist. Why do you even dip into that world? It's like acknowledge, right, what, what's the one thing I can't do is bring that person. What's yeah. the one thing I, change my actions to bring that person. What's the one thing I can't rewind time. I can't. You, you so realise like, that yeah. is how 99% of minds operate. Mm. They, they allow themselves to go there all the time. If you go back to the example of you sweeping the minefield, then mm. there's a kilometre of minefield ahead of you. At what stage would you think about your wife and children of if I make a mistake, if I trip up here and get this wrong? I wouldn't. You compartmentalise yeah. that. I still do that nowadays, you know. When I'm at work, you know, I'm at work. Don't disturb me unless my children are in hospital, unless there's something, an emergency. Then don't bring in any distractions, one or two or three or 5% distractions into my work. Let me, do, let me focus 100% on my work because that way I will achieve what I need to achieve. Sure. And also when it does go wrong, okay, I can't blame that one or 2% or 3%. I've only got one person to look at. And that's myself. No excuses. So I, I don't allow any any of those distractions to come into into my my life, into my work, because ultimately, that's what happens with people. If I do get it right or wrong, if I make the right decision or the wrong decision, well, guess what? I can take ownership of that mm. because there's no distract. And then once you take ownership of it, you can process what's gone sure. wrong. Then you can you can execute what needs to be done and move on. Right. But it's like the more distractions you have in your life, the more, you know, excuses that you have to pin stuff to, then the, the more you're going to th think negatively, the more you're going to, you know, you're going to trick yourself, the more you're going to fool yeah. yourself. Does that make, does that make sense? It makes it's, total it's sense. It's my elite mindset of I focus on myself. What do I need to change? But my question then is around before you make that commitment to go in and do whatever it is you're going to yeah. face yeah. is at what stage before you make that commitment, do you think, you know, I'm a different person, I'm evolving all the time and I'm now a father, I'm now a husband and therefore I probably won't put myself into yeah. that situation that might end up with mm -hmm. my early demise. Yeah. So how do you square that? Circle? Well, now I'm getting better and better at that. The thing that really sort of pushed home was Everest. Yeah. You know, when I done Everest, um, I went up during the storm and, it, and I can remember halfway through once I'd done my rotations, the cameraman said, Ant, you're making it look too easy. You know, you've never been above 6,000 metres before he said, let you, and then <laughs> lo and behold, this storm comes in. So I'm like, we're going up during the storms. He's like, no, 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 you, listen, I've said, you know, you can't go up during the storms. It's like, I'm like, no, listen, follow me up during the what storms. What was that about? I've, I've, heard, I've read um, your book about that. Why that, in the storm? Why not because, wait for the next day? Well, hundreds of people have stood on the summit of Mount Everest on a nice sunny day. 
I don't want to take the easy option. You know, why would I? Why would I want to stand on the summit of the world on a nice sunny day? And well, go, hey, the I'm answer here. is because one day you might find the limit, and the limit might be death. Yeah, but I haven't found that yet. So don't worry <laughs> don't about keep that. Looking for it. Um, what's your What's your wife's name? Emily. So does Emily say? Anthony, yeah. No. After After come that, come on, it's, man. It's, You've got kids and me yeah. to think about. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift, and many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give MindLift a go, the neuroscience-based personalized brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com slash highperformance. Hey, look, as you know, in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile... I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings on to you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can choose from three, six or 12-month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com HPP. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I get that you've driven yourself relentlessly and remorselessly, but then you've chosen to go into team environments, so whether it was in the military, so you're an elite individual going into a team environment where not everybody does share the same mentality and I'd class even your family to go and have a family with Emily. Yeah is then you become a team player. So where's that evolution happened for you? Yeah, that's getting in. I'm a, I was a very selfish person that had my priorities wrong. You know, when I was in the military, I prioritised the military. My family and children came second. And do you now feel that you're good enough, right, without having to validate yourself with achievements? Mm. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely asked. Like if you achieve nothing else yeah. for the next mm. 50 years, I know you're the kind of guy yeah. that likes to achieve stuff. Yeah. Would you still be a content person? No, I've I've realised um, more and more. Um, I'd probably say over the last three or four years, the importance of of a team, especially um, when I'd say your body starts to sort of suffer a bit more 
But um, I'm not worried about that. But I obviously, obviously acknowledge it. Even when I was at my most fittest in, in the special forces, you know, you have to be an athlete plus standard of fitness to pass selection. Fact. My mind has, al has, has always seemed fitter has always seemed to be the driving force of I never you know I never saw myself as an athlete even though I was at that status but it was because my mind it was always always evolving um but now that I'm in a completely different career completely different headspace and I realized you know what I used to do wasn't normal it's one of those where I jumped in the deep end with dive boots on and I'm having to rely on my team now to keep my head above water um, because I've still got that that mindset and that sort of um, way of, you know, just tackle everything head on, just be honest and say, you're on there like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't quite work like that out yeah. here. People do appreciate that, but this day and age in society, you've got to, uh, you've got to let us take lead on it. That's what I've struggled with the last couple of years right. is to really let go of, of certain bows, of certain strings on, on my bow and go, do you know what? You can take charge of that. You can take, but to a point where I'm still even a nightmare about it, you know, I still crawl up that rope and put my head up and go, right, are you, are you managing this? What are you worried about then? What do you not? Um, it's just, no, I'm not worried about anything. I just like things done properly. You know, I like, I like to things done properly. I like to be transparent about things. And I like to be honest about things. And a sad state of affairs that we're finding ourselves in in this day and age is honesty is classed as bullying. Right. So you're being honest and all of a sudden you can't say that Ant, because you're being. Is it how you deliver the honesty, though? Or no. do you think we're in a place now where just telling someone I disagree with you is. No, is not even telling, so, not even telling someone, someone I disagree, but telling. Listen, you're useless at your job. I suggest you find another job. And, and again, that's the way society goes. And I talk, I talk about it, you know, I have a prime example of levels of, of standards that are just dropping more and more and more because nowadays, you know, rather than messing up at work and me, for example, pulling into the office and going, bloody hell, that was horrendous. What were you thinking of? You know, you've got one more chance. If not, you're out the door. Nowadays, I bring them in and go, you know, you, you could have you done better. It was okay. It was okay, but you could have done better. Um, you know, maybe next time think, you know, all this molly cuddling and pampering. But all of a sudden, what that does, it engages your brain where you know you haven't been up to scratch or you know that you, you know, that you didn't do that correctly or your standards have dropped. But then people are going, no, it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. Just make sure you tackle it in this way. Let's talk about it. Let's go through it. And all of a sudden, when you get multiple people like that that tell you that, you go, oh, right, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Maybe that was okay. You know, even though you're lying to yourself, right? Because you know, like, oh, no, that was shit. I should have done a lot better. But people are saying, actually, it's not too bad. You know, it was, you know, you, you, you didn't so much fail. But yeah, you did fail. And then what you do, you, your standards drop and 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 drop, and drop to, to a level that's not acceptable. And then all of a sudden, someone comes in and tells you, you get what happens, you become offended. You start to pass the blame. It's, it's, it's this whole, there's a whole knock-on effect to not being honest. And when I'm talking about being honest, I'm talking about, yeah, there is a way of saying it, but being brutally honest. Black and white. Was it, was it did you achieve what you, no, why didn't you achieve what you, because your performance was horrendous. You see, I see all of that on a weekly basis in the world that I existed in, that elite sports world. That is still how that world works. If you're not good enough to make the Arsenal first team, mm. you are out of the door. Yeah. If you are a goalkeeper and the ball goes through your legs, mm. you are not mm. just criticised by the manager and the players, but everyone around you. Mm. And it's one of these things that I don't think that we give elite individuals the credit that they deserve. Mm. I think oh, that 100%. everyone would love to be a professional footballer, a professional Formula One driver, um, a special forces soldier. Mm. I honestly believe 99.9% .9 of people could not push themselves to the limits you need to go to to get there. Like oh, Wayne Rooney's lazy people say, right, you've probably not trained one day in your life as hard as he's trained every single day to play professional sport. We all sit and we all criticise happily, don't we, and think everyone's useless. Mm. But very few people really can get themselves into that elite space, I think. And it's a mindset. It's, it's, it's an elite mindset. And do you know what? I, I don't like to use that word elite because elite for me is just doing the basics to a high standard consistently. Hmm. Right, and you try doing the basics to a high standard consistently. That's very, very hard to do. Can you everyone take... be a high performance person? Yeah, they can. I, I generally believe that, but it's just it's just the, the mindset that that lacks. It's like you can train. I could go. Well, I could go away right now. I could give you a training program to go away, train for a year. You could probably be, you know, if you had the time and money, you could probably be the fittest man on earth. 
I would also argue that we all bring a certain base level of talent mm. to the table. So, Absolutely. So say I could run the 100 metres in 12 seconds and I believe I could train and I could get better from that base level of talent that I have. But I don't believe that I could match up against the 100 metres Olympic finalists. I know, but it's, in, it's one of those. Um, I haven't sprinted for about 22 years. And the first sprint I done with USN was against a sprinter. <laughs> I got twelve seconds. It's, it, and again, again, it all goes down to mindset on how you absorb, how you learn the techniques. It's like once I engulf myself into something, you know, I I'm obsessed with it. Hmm. You know, like people <laughs> when I, you know, when I left the the, uh, the special forces, you know, I've always been in trouble. You know, when I go out drinking, you know, I've just when I used to, you know, always never be the bully, but I'd always find myself getting in trouble. And they used to say, and you're one of these annoying people that are good at everything, but you're also good at getting in trouble. It's because, you know, when I went out, if someone started a fight with my mate, it'd just be, drinking wouldn't matter anymore. It'd just be like, right, we need to sort this situation out. And it's like, you know, so I've got an addictive personality, but I've also seen the negative sides to that. You know, my addictive personality has ended, I've ended up in prison. I've ended up in prison cells. I've ended up heavily drinking. I've ended up fighting. I've ended up, you know, it's it's got its negative effects to it as well. I don't just think, right, what I put my mind out, I can achieve. It's like when I find myself in a situation that I'm enjoying and I'm like, I'm like you know, I used to drink till the fucking cows come home. You know, you wouldn't out drink me, you know. Talk about a negative, you know, and then all of a sudden alcohol starts yeah, yeah, to get yeah. a grip of you and you're like, well, I need to rein this in. You know, being honest with yourself, you're like, woo. So where did the self-awareness, the willingness to look at yourself and go, you know what, there's a yeah. pattern of drinking here that's leading me into trouble. Do you know what, it's when I was at a, wed- at a funeral, sorry, I was at a funeral for, for a power in the Royal Marines. And um, obviously, you know, I say obviously, but you drink heavily in the Marines, you know, it's all about weekends and yeah. you know, when you're on camp anyway. And I can remember at a funeral, being at a funeral and just asking this person where this person was that was dead. You know, and I remember thinking, I was going, where is so-and-so? And they're looking at me as a complete lunatic. They're wow. like, what the hell are you on about? I'm like, well, where is he? Come on, fucking hell. I'm, I'm, you know, he's meant, he's meant to be part of the group. And then and I, can, I remember, then I just remember saying his name and then thinking, fuck, he's dead. So were you drunk or were you... Yeah, I was drunk. Yeah, yeah I was drunk. I thought to myself, wow, alcohol, you know, made me... You know, I've always been aware when I've been drinking. I've always been a... And it got to a point where I was, you know... I was starting to forget or I was starting to, you know, be a useless drunk, shall we say, you know, well, just, and, I, and I've always been self-aware like that. And that's when, I, that was one of the first moments I thought, and you're drinking too much, mate, because what the hell? And I, after I said that and I realised what I said, I fucked off. I left the party. It's like, it's like, it's almost like a, well, and you need to go because you're not in control of yourself. See, that's the other thing. If you're really brutally honest with yourself, you, you punish yourself, I guess, when you when yeah. you know that you've overstepped the yeah. mark. Do you still drink now? Occasionally, yeah. No, no, I don't. I don't go and go out and get smashed. No, but um, it's it's one of those where <laughs> alcohol has, has done nothing but bring negativity to my life. And again, I've not never had a problem with it, but you know. I'll drink and it'd be fine, fine, fine. And then, you know, some things were happening. It's just like, wow, it's just that's due to alcohol. That's due to me not being myself and not thinking. By See, but that's really interesting because you say you've never had a problem and yet mm. you also attribute that's what led you to a prison cell. Yeah, yeah, so, but it's not, It's it, again, you know, it's, it's holding, you know, it's, it's being accountable for your actions. I got into a fight and I ended up, badly hurting someone and yeah the alcohol was to blame for my decision making but it wasn't to blame for my actions you know it's like I'm, <laughs> do I deserve to go to prison absolutely will I do my time have I got any excuses no you know and again you know when I went to when I went to prison um, I just left the military and um, I remember my, my my lawyer he was he was rubbing his hands he was like he was like and you've just left the military haven't you I was like yeah um, he said how long ago I went six months ago he went Brilliant. He said, how many tours of Afghanistan do you do? I said, three. He went, what, recent? I went, yeah, just literally just, you know, got back not long ago. He was like, excellent. He's like, and we, do you want to go to prison? I'm like, of course I don't want to go to prison. He's like, well, you've got PTSD. And I'm like, what, what do you mean I've got PTSD? He said, and he said, if you say you've got PTSD, this is exact words. He went, I promise you, you will not go to prison. He said, I'll write a report, you'll get a slap on the wrist. He said, I guarantee you with what you've done in your background. He said, you go off, you, you, you do a course and said, you'll be at home with your family. And I looked at him, I said, I can't, 
I can't do that. I haven't got PTSD. I can't say that. I said I got drunk and I said I end up in a fucking fight, end up hurting someone. I deserve to be in prison. Let me do my time. Um, and that's exactly what I done. I went went to prison, done my time. And but how long I, did you do? Um, I got I got sentenced to fourteen months. So well, I done that. Yeah, I done. And you say in your book, the minute they shut the cell door, yeah, positive mindset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the moment the hammer went down, I remember it? the moment the hammer, my wife was there, and I just said to her, I said, I love you. I'll see you soon. Now, I talk about priorities just being different. Now, prioritize. You know, the same common denominator every single time, whether it's positive or negative. One person that's always there, and it's my wife. And I'm just like, wow, listen, I, if, if, not only do I owe it to, to myself, but listen, I owe it to you. She's special, huh? And yeah, yeah. and that's when I, when, I, when, I, when I got out of prison, you know, my life started turning around. For, you know, I started f- focusing my energy in, on a- everything positive. That's when I really made that positive and negative changes. Like, is anything positive? No, don't do it. it could there be a negative? Yeah, well, don't do it. You know, I've last five, six years, I've cut off all my friends. I've cut off all, you know, I bounce between work and family, work and family, work and family. I prioritise family um, now, but also work comes very close. If one suffers, the other's going to suffer. And I don't allow that social life to come into play because um, it's too much of a temptation. And what I mean by it's too much of a temptation, it's like, of course I want to go out and have fun. Of course I want to go. Is anything positive going to come out of it necessarily? No, but that's what I love about life. It's like I'm, I need to make the mistakes to learn, and then I, when I learn, I grow. And when I grow, I become a better version of myself. I'm more aware. I'm wiser. I'm more, more. You know, I learn more about about myself. Yeah, I'm interested in because you're a father as well. Yeah, and I'm conscious that people listening to this podcast will be uh, sort of thinking about it from that lens. Mm. You've almost eradicated vulnerability from your life, you've, whether that's you've armor-plated yourself physically or mentally yeah, so, yeah. to do that, and yet your children are having to go through situations that inevitably lead to vulnerability, whether it's starting a new school or yeah. doing a new sport or a new activity. Yeah. How do you help them on their journey? I push them into doing things they don't want to do. You know, look, I think we've become a nation of lazy parenting um, when something won't go right at school and it's come back, but it's not your fault, it's their fault. It's, you know, we don't spend enough time with our children. We don't spend enough time pushing them and forcing them into stuff. You know, I force my children to do stuff whether they like it or not. And I'm, I'm only forcing them through love and through personal development. I'm, there's nothing malicious in it. There's nothing negative in it. I'm forcing, I know you don't want to do that, son, but you're going to do it. Bosh, you know, whether, whether I push him into climbing a ladder, whether, and then he gets to the top of the ladder, and he's like, well, it's not that bad, is it? But if I didn't force you to do that, you wouldn't know what you're capable of. And swimming, you know, so my son was like, just pushed him into the, into, the, uh, into the shallow end, you know, knowing that my wife's that side. And, you know, and he's like, no, 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 boom, boom. Well, actually, and then I jumped in there and held him in the water. I'm like, it's not that bad, is it, son? And, you know, you've got the parents that are nodding their heads, and I can't get him out of the water now. I can, you know, it's like, and again, people say, well, that could have had a negative. I don't live in that world, could have, should have, would have. It didn't have a negative effect. What I know if what I'm doing. Son, you know, it's like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, what if he wants to be something different though? Like, I, I, um, you talk in your book about uh, putting, getting to do karate, he gets a smack in mm. the face and a mm. bloody nose. Like, maybe your Absolutely. son just wants to be a painter mm. and doesn't want to be a combat. Uh, you did, yeah. and that was great for you, but mm. your son's not you, is he? Yeah. No, when he's, you know, it's one of those where if I see that he's not enjoying it, then, then I'll, you know, I won't, I won't sort of force the issue. But, um, you know. So you're like, not forcing them to do certain things. You're teaching them that sometimes in life, the only way through it yeah, is right you know, for the middle, some resilience. If I, I push him into the water and I've got nothing of it, then I wouldn't keep pushing him into the water. You know, it's like, but I'll force him to do stuff just so they can go, right, well, I like that or I don't like that. And, you know, some things I'll get right, some things I'll get wrong. But everything that I do is is just through love you know it's, and i always say to people do what the hell you want to do i said as long as it's, your actions aren't malicious and you and you don't go out to offend then you're always going to offend someone you're always going to upset a situation do not let those distractions come in in your heart of hearts if you think that's the right thing to do and you don't think do it and you'll find out whether it's right or wrong and if it's right well guess what you keep doing it if it's wrong change it up but you know, or if it's you know, if it's, and that's that's what I say to my children. I say you know, stay innocent, stay pure. Because listen, 
It won't be like that your whole life. And you'll soon learn what's right and what's wrong. And I'll be there to guide you through it. But I will, I will be pushing you and I will be forcing you to do a lot of things that you don't like. And I guarantee you, when you have children, you'll do the complete opposite of what I didn't, what I didn't like, and what I, you know, and the, and the complete opposite of what you did like. And that's what, that's how, that's how evolution goes on. But um, I think that we as parents have don't hold up to our um, responsibilities of being honest with our children. You know, letting them know that you know, listen, there's two sides to every story. This whole blame culture, and you know, I spend the time that I am with my children. I spend time. I sit down with them. People find it weird that I sit down and I talk, and I, and I talk to my you know my son, and all of a sudden he's out in the garden climbing a tree and you know, just. And his box of shorts because I've gone to him. Well, go on then. If you think you can, think that tough, go out there. And, and people are like, "What's he doing?" I'm like, "Don't worry about him. He's fine. You know, he's climbing the tree in his box of shorts." Because I've just, you know, told him, you know, that if you set your mind to things and you know take each step at a time, you know. And I just think uh, as as um, in society now, we're, we're in danger of becoming a nation of lazy parents and lazy adults. You know, because adults are acting like children and children are acting like babies. You know, it's like adults, come on. Do you know what I mean? Be an adult. You know, people are looking up to you. Lead by example. You know, it's like, that's what, more adults that I see acting like children. No wonder children, no teenagers acting like babies. Of course, of course it's going in the reverse effect because it starts from the top and it trickles all the way down. You know, and unfortunately we still have this generation of, of our granddads who are, who are, you know, hardened sort of resilient sort of individuals that have passed it on to our generation. But I think it's so important that we keep that. And again, we move along with the times. I'm all for that, 100% move along with it. But we keep this old school resilience um, that have made us, the people we are today listen thank you so much for your time Um, I came in I'm a firm believer in people separating fault and responsibility we constantly look at fault we don't take responsibility I believe in the growth mindset Um, I hate the victim culture and I'm I believe that you 100% take responsibility for every single thing that happens in your life right Positive one. You are so many miles ahead of me. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I came into this thing and I've got this nailed, man. Jeez, I've got a long journey to go on. Um, no, before we a, go, we've got a few really uh, quick questions that we want to just away. throw your way. Um, it won't take very long. Just sort of a short, quick fire thing. Three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you must buy into. Punctuality, manners, and... First impressions, I think that, that they go a long way. You know, don't tip up in, in rag order, at least be presentable. What advice would you give a teenage aunt that was just starting out? Um, I would say let more people in. Just, you know, I've, I'm figuring that out in the late, later years of my life and I think I'd be a, a lot more advanced if I'd allowed that to happen at a, a younger age so it'd definitely be you know let more people whether it's a mentor whether it's you know people that are generally interested in in, in developing you um, I wish I would have done that at an earlier age are you happy? extremely um, it's one it's, it's strange because you know when you're in your job when I was in the special forces I thought I was made for that um, but now I'm in this job I believe that this is my my belonging this is my calling I feel out of everything that I've done in my life, this is I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. How important is legacy to you? I think, you know, if I can leave, you know, a solid foundation um, for my children to build on, which I didn't have, then we've, we've, we've done our work. And the final question for people listening to this, your one piece of advice for them to live a more high-performance life. Just think positively. You know, we live in a society full of negativity. Be brutally honest with yourself if you're brutally honest with yourself it allows you to be brutally honest with other people and if you find yourself in a negative situation you cannot tackle that negative situation with a negative mindset if you lie to yourself you're gonna live a lie damien (laughs) that was that was fascinating you know we say that a lot but what really stood out for me was that he has as far as I can tell, an absolutely rock-solid, unshakable belief in his own mindset. And that's a difficult place to get to, but I imagine if he genuinely believes everything he's just told us, it must also be a lovely place to be. Lovely and lonely was the the other word. I I agree, that sense of that you are everything you could ever possibly need must be quite self-satisfying, but equally to look around and think that not everybody else matches up to you must 
sometimes leading to some quite lonely places, I imagine. Because we all, don't we, spend our time wanting to, wanting to just believe in ourselves 100%. He's managed to get to that place. So when he left the room just now, did you feel jealous of him? Or are you glad you have your mindset? I think there was aspects of Ant that I really admired that I think I could do with a bit more of that. For example, that sort of relentless positivity would serve yeah. us all well. But there was other aspects of the ability to fit within a group, whether that's a family or a team. Um, I think he struggles with that more. And I think that sense of loneliness isn't something that I would envy. What about yourself? Do you know what? I actually quite like the journey of not being perfect. Part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast, right, is that I think that I'm pretty good at being positive. I spend a lot of my time talking to other people about positivity. I've spent my life around elite athletes who have only got where they've got to with genuine belief in themselves and, and real dedication. And I know that I'm not there yet. And I think if I was where Ant was, I might be thinking, well, where, where next? Like, I'm sort of made it. You know, he believes in absolutely everything he does, whereas I quite enjoy the journey of finding out a bit more about myself and I know that I'm not perfect and I don't think I don't think I know a perfect person. I think he probably would see himself mentally as perfect, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really astute point and I think one thing that didn't come from Anne and I understand given the extremes of the worlds that he's existed in was that sense of vulnerability is what makes us human. And I think he I, would say he's not vulnerable, though, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, very much. I think he would perceive vulnerability as a weakness as opposed to um, part of our humanity. And whilst I liked his point about being seriously honest with people that don't match up and giving people that sense of strident feedback, you're not good enough, you need to get better, I also think there's something about doing that with an element of kindness and an empathy and a decency that... Ant didn't articulate that. I'm not saying he doesn't do it, but he didn't articulate it. I bet he does do it, actually. Because I think you've got to take people along for the ride, whether you're in a military setting or like he is now in a media setting. I, You know, people in in my industry talk a lot. I've only ever heard good things about him as a person, interestingly. He's a really charming, kind, friendly, which is almost at odds, isn't it, with that, you've got to be like me. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. And I think that, from what you're describing, how people speak about him, gives you the evidence of the emotional intelligence that he says he possesses in abundance. I think he was giving us the performance bit as opposed to the human element of how you bring people with him. You know what? He's almost the perfect soldier, isn't he? When he talks about his mindset and everything that's everything he's been through, it's almost like this is how he is and he's tailored everything in his life to fit with the kind of person that he is and my goodness so successful now of clearly an incredible soldier he was in the special forces for goodness sakes and um and he's learned his lessons along the way remarkable well, well there's a lovely phrase alex ferguson uses um he used to say to the players in the dressing room at manchester united you should look to your left and right and you should be really proud that those people are going into battle with you and that phrase sort of resonated when i was thinking of Ant. i was thinking you imagine being outside a door where you're about to walk into a firefight, I think you would get a sense of calm and reassurance that he was on your shoulder. And I think that's probably the greatest testimony to that mindset that he's shared with us today. Wow. What a guy Ant Middleton is. If you enjoyed that, I'd love it if you could leave a review for us. And of course, please subscribe to High Performance. I promise it's worth it. Thanks so much to Tom Griffin from Rethink Audio for his help. And do keep an eye across my socials for details of the next episode. Till then, thanks a lot. 